So I've been wearing glasses since I was a little kid, probably like three years old, four years old. I was given glasses. I'm grateful that they help me see better. Uh, but one of the most annoying things about wearing glasses, and all of you who wear glasses can testify to this, one of the most annoying things when you have glasses is when you can't see clearly through them, right? When they're smudged, whatever. Like, it's amazing when you get a new pair of glasses and you get to look at the lenses of your old pair of glasses and see how scratched up they are. They're just scratched to pieces. Or, or just during the week when they get smudged up or if it rains or you get water on them and then, you know, it, just, it dries and you can't see very clearly. It, it just stinks when you can't see clearly. And uh, it can be annoying, but it can also be even sometimes dangerous when you can't see clearly. And as we continue in our current teaching series, Against the Grain, where we've been talking about what it, lives, what it looks like to live a life where you're trying to obey God. And, you're, and you're, you're not trying to let your human feelings and emotions and thoughts guide you, but you're trying to let God's Word guide you and what God thinks guide you, that that's going to put you against the grain. It's going to put you against the grain of what you want to do. It's going to put you against the grain of what the world's trying to impose upon you and, and the world's values or lack of values that are trying to be imposed upon you. And so in order to live against the grain, you really have to see clearly. You have to be able to see clearly. And maybe our emotions are smudging our view. Maybe just the emotions are really making it difficult to see. Or maybe wounds in your life, trauma in your life, has caused scratches, if you will, on the lens of your heart. And it's hard to see. Or maybe you're having a hard time seeing clearly because you're not obeying or pursuing God. Or, or maybe you've surrounded yourself that the, the, the voices that you listen to most in your life, whether that's people or music or media, whatever, they don't even know the Lord. And all these things can really damage or prevent us from seeing clearly. It's hard to go against the grain when you can't see clearly. And as we open our Bibles again today, we're, we're going to find ourselves in the book of Luke chapter 6. I invite you to turn there. Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 37. We're going to be continuing in a sermon that Jesus Christ was teaching. It's known as the Sermon on the Plain. And he's surrounded by probably thousands of people uh, a lot of them are his disciples. They've, they, they've committed their lives to following him. But a bunch of them have traveled from all over Israel. And they're there to hear Jesus teach. They're there to hopefully have him heal maybe some sickness or disease that they're carrying or that their loved one's carrying. And as Jesus is teaching, what he's teaching, as it's known, the Sermon on the Plain, uh, the ways that we can become people of the kingdom, his kingdom, and to see God clearly, and to see his kingdom clearly, and to see what it looks like, the characteristics and the lifestyle and the conduct of those who belong to the kingdom looks like. So he's wanting people to see this clearly. And if you understand who Jesus is, and you understand his kingdom, and you understand the mission of Jesus, you understand that Jesus was sent on a mission of reconciliation. The, the goal of Jesus is to seek lost people. He wants to take people far from God and bring them into relationship with this God who loves them, made them, has a plan for their life. In fact, if you're here today or watching online and you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're spiritually seeking right now maybe, we just want you to know that God loves you. And if you're far from God, He, he wants to reconcile your relationship. And He wants to bring you close and so he did all the heavy lifting. When Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins, he removed the biggest barrier from us and God. And so now we just need to believe and trust that Jesus died for our sins. We need to move into that relationship and, and the relationship of reconciliation that Jesus lives for. In fact, if you look at a passage on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5, 18-20, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ 
reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we need to be reconciled back to God. And once we are, what Jesus does then is he invites us into his mission as his, as his child, as his fellow citizen of the kingdom. We're invited back into his ministry. And now we, as you see here, we've been given this ministry of, what's the word? Reconciliation. So we've been called to this ministry of reconciliation, but here's one major barrier. As we live our life out there, as we interact with the people who don't know the Lord, even as we interact with one another as Christians, sometimes what people perceive, sometimes what people feel, sometimes what people even experience is that instead of a ministry of reconciliation, instead it feels like a ministry of condemnation. That our attitudes and our actions and our dispositions and the stances we take and how we take those stances and how we argue and what we say feels like we're condemning them instead of inviting them into a relationship with God. And this is a big part of this sermon that Jesus is talking about. He wants us to make sure, as he's unpacking this sermon, that the, the application of what he's about to teach will reinforce, and this is really our big idea for today, that we have been given this ministry of reconciliation, not condemnation. And if we see clearly who Jesus is, if we see clearly the people that he's making us become, then when we see clearly what he's teaching, the result from the verses we're about to look at is that we will be people who live lives that are generous and wise and careful. In fact, will you say those words with me? Generous, wise, and careful. This is the application of the passage of this part of the sermon that we're about to see today. So let's dive in. Luke chapter 6, starting with verse 37. And what we're seeing here is that those who clearly see who Christ is and who he's calling us to be will be generous. And when I say generous, I mean generous with forgiveness, generous with giving. So we're going to be generous with forgiveness and giving, and we're going to be stingy then with being judgmental and condemning, right? So we're going to be stingy with judgment and condemnation, but we're going to be generous with forgiveness and giving. Let's look at verse 37. Jesus says, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So here we go. Jesus says, do not judge. What a great topic. We're going to have a party today, right? It's going to be great. This is probably one of the most quoted, these are probably some of the most quoted words in the Bible, from the Bible. In fact, the people that live in the world probably quote this verse more than any other verse, right? Do not judge, do not judge, do not judge. The problem is most people know it's in the Bible, they just don't know where. And not only that, they know it's in the Bible, but they don't know the context. A lot of times we're guilty where we put a period where God might have actually put a comma. That's very dangerous to do with the Bible where you just pluck some words out and then just drop that on somebody. Like, for example, the Bible says there is no God. Like, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says there's no God, right? But if you look at the whole context, it says a fool says in his heart there is no God. So you, you can't just pluck a verse and say, see, I'm quoting the Bible. This is what You've got to look at the context. 
And, and we know that this is a sermon that Jesus is teaching here, right? So we're in Luke 6. This is a whole sermon. We're looking at a chunk of the sermon. But if you were here last week and saw more of the context, the context that you would have heard last week is Jesus was saying, love your enemy. Do good to your enemy. And then he said, be merciful like your Father. Your Heavenly Father is merciful. So if you really look at the context here that we see unfolding, Jesus is basically saying, hey, on the topic of loving your enemy, on the topic of doing good to those who, who hurt you, on the topic of being merciful, don't be judgmental. Don't be condemning. You've you got to be forgiving. You've got to give. So this is the bigger context. But I don't think I've ever heard someone out in the world at a coffee shop go like, hey, you can't judge. Oh, but by the way, make sure you love your enemy and be merciful. Like I've never heard someone say that. They just kind of pluck the one and drop it without the whole context around it. And so we need to make sure we understand the context of this whole sermon. Now, since Jesus has called us to a ministry of reconciliation, not condemnation, this means we're going to be generous with forgiveness and giving, stingy with being judgmental and condemning. So does that mean then, and, I, and here's the one to do in your mind, does that mean that Christians are to never judge? Like right now, if we were to give you a piece of paper with two true or false questions on it, and the first one said, Christians are to never judge. I wonder how many of you would put true and how many of you would put false. And if the second question underneath that were, uh, Christians are to always judge, true or false, what would you put? I suspect a lot of you would say, well, Christians are to never judge doesn't feel right. That seems kind of extreme. And Christians are to always judge definitely can't be right because that's extreme. And Jesus is saying basically not to do that. What's the answer? So as you study this whole topic of being judgmental or to judge, if you study the scripture as a whole, it's not that Jesus says you can't ever judge, but it's who you judge and how you judge that Jesus is getting to. And so we have to make judgment calls in our life. In fact, Jesus said in John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances, but what's the next word? Judge with right judgment. So Jesus is now telling us to judge. So, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions. Jesus says, don't judge here. And I was saying, you know, judge here. No, there's, there's more than meets the eye. In fact, we get some extra insight when we see what God told us through the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Christians that were living in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 5, 11 to 13, we see this. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to, what's the word? Judge. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Like this is, this is hard teaching because we don't like what's being said here. Because when a person says, do not judge, here's basically what we're saying. Mind your business. Mind your own business. Don't judge. Mind your own business. That's a lot of times what's being conveyed. Or uh, I don't want to be accountable. Like, don't you hold me accountable to anything, all right? Or I don't want to be held to a standard. Or a lot of times, I don't want to be held to a standard that you can't even hold up yourself. So don't judge. And this is what's being said. But Jesus is making it clear, and God makes it clear as you study this concept as a whole. No, no, no. There is a place for righteous judgment. There is a place for proper judgment. We are being unrealistic, and we're going to be failures at trying to live out what God has called us to do if we don't have the ability to make judgment calls. For example, I would imagine you understand that there are 
people that are good influences to be around and people that are bad influences. Well, how do you know the difference? You have to make a judgment call. How, how are you going to know if someone's good or bad, evil, right, or holy? you got to make a judgment call. How do you know if something's wrong or right? How do you know if someone's safe to be with or unsafe to be with? We've got to make a judgment call. And so there's a detached understanding that we are to never judge because that's not what God says. He just says who you judge and how you judge. So the who is very clear here that once you become a Christian, you're, you're part of a family of faith. We're a family. And so because we're a family, we're, we're living for the same common goal and mission. And uh, we have a love for one another. We want the best for one another. Which means when we see people living in unrepentant sin, when we see people doing what's wrong, living in unrepentant sin, uh, we have a mutual responsibility to call that out in one another. It's the loving thing to do. But it's weird. A lot, a lot of Christians are trying to be judgmental of people outside the faith. Well, it's really weird if you think about it. How can we judge people who don't know Jesus for living like people who don't know Jesus? That doesn't make sense. So yeah, there's some general ethical things and all those kinds of things, but we know God's saying you can never judge because if that was the case, every time a judge puts on the robe, sits behind their bench, taps a gavel and says right or wrong, they're sinning because they're making a judgment call. We know that's not the case. So we have a right to, to be able to look at the lives of fellow believers and look for unrepentant sin. We'll, we'll come back to that a little bit more in a second because Jesus kind of comes back to that here in the passage in a moment. But also it's, it's, it's how we're to judge. This is really what Jesus is getting to here. It's the how we judge. And so Jesus wasn't saying we never think critically or we never use discernment or make decisions based on observations, but it's the spirit in which we use judgment. It's the heart behind the judgment call. And so the judging that Christ wants us to avoid is judgment that's harsh. It's usually rooted in self-righteousness and jealousy. It's being a judgmental person that feels focused and fixated on the flaws of other people and the faults of other people and has become a person who's a chronic criticizer of other people. It's when we've made ourselves the prosecutor, the jury, and the judge in the lives of others. And before you know it, we become those judgmental and condemning people we never thought we would be. And now we've deviated from the mission. We're, not, we're no longer carrying out the mission of reconciliation. We are carrying out a mission of condemnation if that's where we find ourselves. And so we have forgotten, if we find ourselves there, how we daily need God's grace and how we daily need God's forgiveness and his mercy. And so we need to be reminded of that. And when we do fall into this place, the judgment and condemnation that we dish out to others, that's what's going to come back on us. If you're judging others, if you're condemning others, you're, you're planting a seed of a judgmental mindset. You're, you're planting a seed of condemnation. Well, guess what's going to grow up out of that? Judgment and condemnation. That's what you're going to sow that. You're going to reap that. You're going to plant that. You're going to harvest that back in your life. And Jesus instead wants us as kingdom people to be known for our ability to show love and mercy and to be generous, to be givers and to be forgivers. Jesus is emphasizing forgiveness. So he doesn't say we can't judge, but he's emphasizing the forgiveness piece. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and you will receive. And then he uses a marketplace analogy to get there. 
And he talks about, it'll be given to you. And then look at, look at the language he uses there in Luke 6. He talks about being shaken down and pressed down and pouring over and, and falling into your lap. What, what is the imagery here? Well, I don't know about you, but one of, the, one of the frustrations we experience is you go to a store and something's on sale or, you, or not on sale and you buy a box of cereal or you buy a bag of chips or whatever it is and you open it and how much is in there, right? Wait a minute, they skimped on it. This bag is half full. This bag is three quarters, right? They skimped on it. But that, that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. He's, saying, he's going, don't skimp on the forgiveness. Don't skimp on the, the giving. Fill it up. And so the, the audience of the day, when they went to the market to get grain, or wheat. They would bring a, a sack or a, a container of some sort of vessel, a clay pot, and they would purchase it. And the person pouring the product into the vessel would, would pour it in about half to three quarters, and then they would start shaking it and sifting it to make sure it all settles down to create more space. And then they would pour some more in, and they'd press on it and pack it in, and they'd pour some more in until it started flowing over, and it's just falling into your lap. And the, the language there means, because you know they wore cloaks and robes, it means they, were, had to make, they had to make a pocket with their robe. Some of you have had to do this, right? You've had to make a pocket with your shirt. You've got to make a pocket with robe to, to catch all the excess and then, and, then, and, then, and then take it home, you know? Jesus is saying, if, if you are a forgiver like this, if you're a giver like this, then, then you're going to be so generous with what you give. You're going to be so generous with how you forgive that it's going to be like there's no more room. And if you give that way, this is, this is how it's going to come back to you. Is that not an incredible description of God's forgiveness in our life? It's not an incredible description of God's grace in our life and his love for us and forgiveness. He just, he just packs it in and he fills it over. And then what, we, what do we do? We go out with other people and then we skimp. We just give them a little bit. This is, this is the language that Jesus is getting to here. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Look, if, if you don't know how to forgive then you don't fully understand how much you've been forgiven. I just want to make sure that's clear. If you don't know how to forgive, you don't fully understand how much you've been forgiven. And if you don't know how to give, it means you don't know how much has been given to you. That this is what Jesus is breaking through here. He says, you've got to be generous. You've got to be generous with giving and forgiving, especially the forgiveness piece. You know, Martin Luther King said this. He said, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It's a constant attitude. And so Jesus is really driving this home. Look, if you forgive, it, you'll receive forgiveness in this life. If you, if you give money, possessions, time, whatever it is, if you're generous, you, you'll find you'll receive that back. If you give condemnation, you'll receive it back. If you, if you give judgment, uh, judgment, it's going to come back to you this way. Some of you are experiencing incredible pain in your relationships because you're judgmental and you're condemning and it might not even be in those relationships, but somewhere not even related, all of a sudden people are mistreating you. you. You've got to fix where you're at. And so Jesus says, not only what you dish out, eventually you're going to get back. This isn't karma. This is, this is just God's economics. It's, it's agriculture. It's what you plant. It's what you, what you harvest. But not only says what you give out comes back, but how much. So as we're, we're talking about this, I just want to make sure we're understanding here. I've got a little teaspoon here. Okay? So when it comes to giving to others... Is this, is this a good image of what you give? When it comes to forgiving others, is this how much you give back? Because Jesus is saying that that's not the case. He's saying when you, when you give, I, I want you to dig a little deeper here, right? I want you to use something a little bigger. 
And so, um, this is full right now, so I'm just going to, just joking. Just, come on. I can do that with Walt and Nancy, so. I mean, when you think about generosity, which better describes your generosity in life to others? When it comes to forgiveness, which is a better image of the forgiveness that you grant to others? And we know God, this doesn't come close to what God has done to us, Right? Like there's no, no vessel big enough. When it comes to judgment and condemnation, where, where are you? And so we, we see this imagery that God is using. He's saying, give, dish it out, and dish out a lot. Two personal reflection questions on this point. Just to make sure we walk away with this point with a little more clarity. First is, do you see clearly whether you are more condemning or forgiving as a person? Like when you really look at your life, can you see clearly whether you're more condemning or forgiving? And maybe you don't know. Here, here's a tool that can help you just press into that a little bit more. It's a scale, typical one to ten. If, if one or two is the judging and condemning, and the nine or ten is the forgiving and giving, what would you give yourself? If you're more judgmental and condemning, are you a two? If you find yourself to be pretty generous and pretty forgiving, are you an eight? So give yourself a score in your mind. And if you really want to do business on this, have your spouse score you. Have your kids score you. Have your parents score you. Have your friends score you. Have the people at work score you. If you really want to get a true assessment of maybe whether you seem to have the ministry of reconciliation or the ministry of condemnation. The second question would be this. What measure are you using to dish out or give out with others? Like, like what measure are you using with what you give and how you forgive. And so the first thing we see, if we see clearly who Christ is, we see clearly what he's teaching here, we're going to be generous. We're going to be generous with forgiveness and giving, but stingy when it comes to judgment and condemnation. We'll also be wise in who we follow. We'll be wise in who we follow. Look at Luke 6, 39. He continues. Jesus said, uh, it says here, he told them a parable. Jesus said, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he's fully trained will be like his teacher. So pretty much take the imagery at face value. Jesus is asking two rhetorical questions. Can a blind person lead a blind person? Of course they can't. Won't they both fall into a pit? Of course they will. So Jesus is saying, you've got to be careful who you're following. Did you? Don't miss this. Don't judge, right? Be careful how you judge. But then in order to not follow the wrong person, what do you have to do? You've got to exercise some judgment. You see how Jesus is massaging this a little bit? You see, you've got to be careful who you're following. Because if you're following a blind person, you're going to fall into the same pit that they're going to be if you're blind. Now let's clarify blindness here. If you are only relying on your human thoughts and your human feelings and your human emotions, you're blind. The Bible says we're blind. If you're following someone, if the only people speaking into your life that you're listening to are speaking from their thoughts and their feelings and their emotions and their wisdom, they're blind. And so you now are a blind person following a blind person if all you're doing is listening to people based on their thoughts and their feelings. No presence of God's word, no presence of God's voice, no presence of you know, uh, prayer and speaking out to the Lord, none of that. That's blind leading the blind. The Bible over and over and over again speaks to spiritual blindness. So if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know Christ, you have no spiritual depth perception. You've got no spiritual peripheral vision. We're blind. We're not seeing clearly at all. 
And so if you're following a blind person, you're both going to fall into a pit. And that blind person, whatever they're, wherever they're going, you're going to go to the same place. So if whatever consequences in their life they're going to suffer, you're going to experience those types of consequences in your life. Whatever temptations they have, those will become your temptations. Whatever habits they have, those will become your habits. Whatever attitudes, behaviors, worldview, values, that's going to become yours. Those are going to become yours. And so you got to be careful who you surrender yourself to, who you allow to have authority over you. All of us are being taught by somebody. All of us are under the tutelage of some influence, a person or a system or a structure or a culture. And Jesus is saying, if you're following the blind person, you're going to fall into a pit. I think we can even extend the application of that into eternity. If you're following people who aren't going to heaven, but they're going to hell, and you decide that you're just going to go where they go, then you're following people down the wrong road. And then Jesus presses in a little bit further. He says, a disciple. Notice he didn't say my disciple. A lot of times he'll say my disciples. This is a disciple, a student. A disciple will not be greater than his teacher. Basically, like, look, if you're following a really, really, really sinful person, you're not going to surpass that. You're just going to become like them, but you're not going to become greater than them. Now, we need to unpack this for a second, because when we hear the word teacher, when we think about a teacher, for us, a teacher is a person in a classroom that's delivering content. We need to learn that information from them so that we can pass a course and we can get a grade and we move on, right? That's not the concept here. This is the rabbinical tradition. When he talks about a, a teacher, they know that's a rabbi. When he talks about a disciple, the Hebrew word there is talmudim. It means a student. Well, when you become a disciple, a talmudim of a rabbi, you're not just looking at the information. You're trying to become like them. So you follow them. You listen to everything they say. You pay attention to them. You copy them. You imitate them. And you become their disciple. And you become like them. So think about this for a second. Who's discipling you right now? Whose voices are you listening to most? Who are you trying to become most like? Who do you look like? Who do you sound like? What music are you listening to? What shows are you watching? Whose voices? What, which network news are you listening to? You're, you're putting yourself under the tutelage of someone or something that says here, when you become fully trained, you're going to be like them. This is dangerous because some of you are consciously or subconsciously, intentionally or unintentionally following the instruction of someone in your life you should not be following. And the reality is you're going to become like that teacher and you're going to, be, and you're going to go right where they're going. So here's, here's the bad news. You, you, you're going to be like that teacher if it's a bad teacher. The good news is you can transfer teachers. You can switch classes. You can find a new teacher. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, let me be your teacher. Be my disciple. Come under my training. Doesn't it sound awesome to think about if I'm going to be fully trained to be like Jesus, what's that going to look like? And so I listen to the instruction of my rabbi, Jesus. I pay attention to my rabbi, Jesus, to see what he does, how he does it. I want to imitate what Jesus did. Well, you're not going to do that if you're not in God's word. Good luck. You're not going to do that if you're not talking to the Lord and in prayer and speaking and listening. You're not going to have success 
and becoming like Jesus if you want to be a student, if everyone else around you that you surround yourself with has no interest in Jesus. See, we got to learn in community. Like all you teachers, you see what happens when you put students together, right? They get to interact with one another. They grow quicker. They learn more. And so that's why we're big on life groups. That's why we're saying you, you, you got to be with other people who are trying to row in the same direction. So you got to go against the grain of the world and try to find the others going against the grain and learn together to be like Jesus. We're going to be wise in who we're following. A couple of reflection questions for you on this point. Do you clearly see who's leading you and where? Do you clearly see? Like, look, if you spend 30 hours on social media a week, I want to tell you who's teaching you. Can you see that? If you listen to one particular genre of music, 40, 50, 60 to 100 hours a week, you can see who's teaching you. Oh, how much time do you spend in the Bible? Well, I got my 10 minutes in this week. Can you clearly see who's leading you right now? And where is that going to go? The second is this. What evidence is in your life that you're being trained by Jesus? Because we're experts at self-deception, aren't we? We're experts at self-deception. Oh, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Okay, if someone invisibly followed you for a week, a month, a year of your life to saw how you allowed yourself to be trained like Jesus, what observations would they make? At the end of that time, would they say, clearly this person is being trained by Jesus. They're in their Bible. They're in prayer. They're in Christian community. They're trying to mimic the rabbi. So when we clearly see who Christ is, who he's calling us to be, we'll be generous with forgiveness and giving. We'll be stingy on judgment and condemnation. We'll be wise in who we follow. And we'll be careful. We'll be careful in dealing with our own sin before helping others deal with theirs. So Jesus goes back into this topic of judgment calls. Look at Luke 6.41. Jesus says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out that speck that's in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that's in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly, read the next part with me, to take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. Well, there it goes, never judging. <laughs> no, God has called us to, to help one another out here. We all have specks in our eyes, but we also all have logs in our eyes. He's saying, first, you've got to be careful to deal with your own sin before you ever try to help someone else deal with theirs. And so if you fully understand this, you see that... Uh, Christ has called us into community. And again, this is a community where we're committed to helping one another. Let, let's just make sure this barrier is out of the way here. If I am in unrepentant sin and you are doing nothing about it, you are not being loving to me. And if you are in unrepentant sin and I do nothing about it, I do not love you and I'm not being loving to you. We are called to be part of a community where we mutually grow Together, which means there's going to be times when we see things in each other's lives and God's going to use us to call it out. But again, how we call it out, the spirit, the motivation, this is what Jesus is getting to. It's not that we never judge. It's that we need to make a judgment call after we've had our own time of self-examination. 
Notice, by the way, notice here, he says brother. You see a brother with a speck in his eye. You would say to your brother, this is Christian family members. I mean, can you imagine if you walked down the house from yourself, like if you walked down four or five houses and just started going to that home and saying like, hey, here's your problem. Here's where you're going wrong. By the way, what's your name? <laughs> It'd be really weird, right? Because that's not your family. Now, if they invite you in and say, hey, we'd like your opinion on something. I mean, what an honor as a believer in Christ to be invited by an unbeliever in Christ to, to say something. But we wouldn't impose that. But we have a family of faith. And we're called to protect our family from the negative influences outside. And we're called to protect each other from the mistakes we make on the inside. And so, but we have to be careful to, to look at our own heart first, our own issues first. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any sin, right? You who are spiritual, just, just in a good place with the Lord, doesn't mean perfect, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Remember, we have a ministry of reconciliation, right? Should restore him in a spirit of, what's that word? Gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. It's a spirit of gentleness. Our, our motive in confronting anybody is reconciliation. It's repair. It's to help, not to hurt, not to condemn, not to make them feel less than. But you just gotta, we gotta be careful with that because every time we point our finger, we've talked about this, every time you point your finger at someone else and their issues and their flaws, you've got three pointing back at you, remember? So I'm three times a sinner you are as I'm pointing out your sin. Now, some of you try to cheat and be like, well, you're a sinner. <laughs> you're a sinner. We talked about that. And then we, we have to deal with our own issues. This, this log refers to our own sin issues, our own personal faults that need to be corrected before we try to even think about helping correct others with theirs. The specks in their eyes uh, seem very big and obvious to us, but sometimes the log in our own eye isn't very obvious. We lack self-awareness. We lack the ability to see. And so Jesus uses this extreme language about a speck and a log. And just, just to make sure that we have the imagery correct, I just thought I'd do a little something here to help us all kind of understand what's happening here, all right? Ah, <laughs> oh, the lengths we'll go to. Get across the point. Hey, Mike, man. Um, I love you, man. You're a great brother in Christ. And uh, I just need to let you know something, bro. You, you got a little something in your eye. And um, it's, it's just a speck, but it's... It's really hurting you and your family. And just, uh, I'm, I'm here to help you, man. I'm here to help you with that. So I'm, I'm going to help you remove your speck. Aren't you glad I'm here? You know, uh, just, just, just one of those things, you know. You know, Barney, um, I've been watching you with my one good eye. <laughs> just notice there's a little something, something in your eye there, man. And, um, but fortunately, I can see that really clearly. And, and just God's moved me and maneuvered me into your life to help you out. So, hey, let's sit down. Let's talk about your issues. All right, let's do that. Okay. See, see how ridiculous that seems? But that's exactly what we do. When we, when we neglect to self-examine, when we don't step back and say, God, what's in my life? What's the motive of my heart? What business do I need you to do in me first? When we, when we don't do that first, and we're not careful to do that, and we just come kicking in the door and into someone else's life, and go, here's what's wrong with you, and here's what you're doing wrong, and this is why you're... That's exactly what we're doing. So we got to be careful. But notice, Jesus doesn't say... Mind your own business. Why are we to deal with the log in our own eye? What does he say next? It's so that we can do what? Help the person with the speck in theirs. 
So it's not mind your own business because some people need their business minded. <laughs> and some people can't see. They just need someone to love them enough to call them out in what's going on with their life. So let's not put a period where Jesus put a comma. You can't do that. A couple self-reflection questions on this point. First, how well do you examine your own heart and life before you try to help someone else with theirs? Like, how well do you do that? Do you even take any efforts to, to examine? I have to confess, I, I got to make sure I do this as I've been processing this this last couple of weeks. I realize it's very easy for me, both personally and professionally, if you will, just to get into a mode to help. Just get into mode to like sit down and, and just go like, well, here's what you need to do. Here's what God's word says. Here's, here's how you correct that without pausing and going, okay, Lord, let's just do a little assessment here. What's, what's going on in my life? What's going on in my heart? Where should I maybe be silent on this issue because I'm still wrestling? Or maybe speak to my wrestling on this issue so I don't sound like an expert because I'm not. And where do I feel confident that this is an area that God, you've grown me in and I'm, I'm, I'm doing pretty good here? Like how well do we do this? before we try to help someone else out. And then also, when you attempt to help others caught in sin, does it feel more like condemnation or reconciliation? Because again, if, if you are committed to Christ and you're committed to the bride of Christ, you will confront. It's part of the job description to confront one another in love, not harshly. But when we do that, at the end of that time, are they going to feel condemned? Or are they going to feel encouraged? Are they going to feel like you were harsh and ungracious or are they going to feel like you were helpful and merciful? This is what Jesus was getting to. This is what it means to see clearly what he's talking about with these issues. And if we apply it, we'll be generous with forgiving and giving, but stingy on judgment and condemnation. We'll be wise who we follow. We'll be careful in dealing with our own sin before helping others. When we leave here today, we're being reminded today that we have been given a ministry of reconciliation not condemnation. So let's try to fulfill that ministry. If I were to summarize this with one reflection question, it would be this. If others, based on their observation and interactions, were to pick a word which best described their interactions with you, which word would they pick? Would they pick reconciliation or condemnation? They can't make up their own word. It can't be like recommendation. You know, it's kind of like... Would they say, when I interact with you, it feels like reconciliation. I don't like what you said. I, it's uncomfortable, but you care for me and I receive it. Or would they be like, dude, you've got no place. You've got no right because I know what's going on in your life. Or the way you addressed me made me feel really shameful and small and it didn't point me to Christ. Like, what would they pick? Now, I'm imagining at this point that you all have an application step that God's probably put on your heart. Something you're going to have to do, something you have to act on from today. But here's probably a few other suggested applications that we all can consider. One, some of us need to repent from self-righteousness. The finger pointing, the law guy thing, that's self-righteousness. It's I'm better than you, I'm clean, you're dirty. I'm, I'm, I've been walking with Christ longer than you, so I'm obviously more mature than you. Self-righteousness. Some of us need to repent from being self-righteous. Some of us need to repent from hiding behind don't judge. Uh, we're doing bad things. We're doing wrong. The, the people we're hanging around with, they're doing wrong. They're doing bad. And we go, oh, don't judge. And we throw that out there and try to hide behind it. We got to repent from doing that. That's manipulation. That's not authentic. 
Some of us need to repent of being stingy with forgiveness and generosity. Some of us are sitting here going, Lord, this is me when it comes to repentance and forgiveness. I've got to to repent of being so unforgiving as a person. Some of us need to repent of following blind guides. Some of you came in here today and you're, you're a disciple of somebody or something you shouldn't be. And you have to repent of that. Or some of us might need to repent from being the blind guides. We're the ones leading others where they should not be going. And we're inflicting harm on their life. And instead of being a tool of God, we become a tool of the devil and a tool of the world. We've got to repent. And some of you here watching online, your first act of repentance is the repentance that will get you back in relationship with God. He's, he's given us this ministry of reconciliation. Some of you are far from God. He wants to be in relationships. Today is the day you can admit that you're a sinner. You could admit your need for Christ. You can place your belief and faith in Jesus as your Savior, and then you can commit your life to following Him. And if you do that, we want to celebrate with you, and we want to help you grow. Grow in your relationship with Christ. So in your program, there's a spot you can mark. I come into Christ. In the next 60 to 90 seconds, rip that off. Put a big box. uh, Check that box. Give us an email. Give us a phone number. Let us know that you're choosing to follow Christ today. We'll get in touch with you and tell you how to grow in that relationship. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God of reconciliation. Thank you that you are a God who takes those who are far off from you and brings them close. Father, we thank you that you every day allow us to wake up to your grace. We wake up to your mercy. We wake up to your forgiveness. Lord, we wake up to your loving correction in our life. We're so grateful for that. And Father, we confess that somehow, someway, what we talked about today, we've failed in. So for some of us, we confess that we have been judgmental. We've been condemning. We've been self-righteous. Lord, we're sorry for that. Would you help us fix that in our life? Lord, some of us have been trying to manipulate and avoid accountability for our sin. And we've used don't judge as our favorite little saying. But Lord, it's, it's inaccurate. God, help us to draw close to you and truly confess and repent of our sin. Lord, help us that have been stingy with forgiveness and generosity. Lord, help us if we've been following a blind guide or being a blind guide. Lord, we repent of that. God, we need you. Jesus, will you help us to live out the mission you've given us as missionaries, every one of us, everywhere we go, every day, to live out this mission of reconciliation. Lord, may it never become a ministry of condemnation. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all sit together. Amen.